When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another AMA Live. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu. Today, as you can see, we're only going live on YouTube. So if you're joining us from Facebook, know that this is going to be your permanent home for the lives from now on. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And by the way, today's episode is brought to you by our collaboration with Iconic. Outwork everyone. There it is. That is the secret if not to life, pretty damn close to life. So thank you guys so much for joining me. We're going to dive right into your first question. Uh, if you want to get that outwork, everyone, by the way, William, you're dropping in the comments what they should be doing, right? There it is. Check out the comments. You can get that right now at impacttheory.com, shop.impacttheory.com. I hope you guys dig it. I know I do. Um, all right. First up, Dave Horum. After 18 years in my profession, I need to pivot. So I'm studying and saving for my pivot but it will be at least three years before I can execute on it. How do I sustain enough interest in my current job to continue to perform when all I can think about and all that excites me now is the new career that lies ahead? <sighs> all right, so here's the honest answer. You're putting the stipulation that you can't execute on this for three years, and I don't know why that would be true. I'm gonna answer the question in two ways. One, the truthful answer is, Having lived years of my life doing something I didn't care about, I can tell you right now, it is, it is soul-wrenching in a way that is difficult to explain. And if you think it's hard now, wait until you're in year three. And I think that this is a sure way to lose three years of your life. I don't think that tomorrow is guaranteed for any of us. So my advice to you is find a way by hook or crook, whatever it takes, within your code of ethics, of course, to get into your new career right now, ASAP Rocky. That's three years that you could be learning. It's three years that you could be having fun. It's three years that you could be surrounded by things you care about. Okay, that's my honest answer. And if we were sitting together, I would find a way for you to figure that out because there is almost always a way and it usually requires people to do things that are deeply uncomfortable like an austere lifestyle, but nonetheless, it is incredibly possible. So that's, that's my real advice. Now. You put stipulations on me since you're not here, I will answer the question with your stipulations, which is if I had to survive for three years, I would go into the mode of protecting my mindset ferociously. And the way that I would protect it, and I just wrote about this in the newsletter, by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, go sign up. Uh, I'm trying to give really um, different style advice over there. So head over there for something new. This topic though came up and it is, if you wanna protect your mindset, and by that I mean really cultivating joy, there are certain steps that you can take to make sure that you're building that into your routine. All right, now here's the reality. The only thing that really matters in life is how you feel when you're doing things. The way that you spend your time. What are you actively doing? Are you staring at a wall? Are you building somebody else's company? Are you raising your children? Are you playing video games? Whatever it is, those activities, those things that you do, those are the only things that create your experience. So really being hardcore about making sure that the things that you're doing that are creating your experience are things that you enjoy is 
super important. So you're going to go into this horrific period where some large chunk of your time is spent doing something you don't enjoy. So all of the time outside of that, you need to make sure that you're really cultivating behaviors that allow you to enjoy it. So number one, first thing in the morning, do something that you love. That is the most important thing. It's got to be something that you enjoy intrinsically in and of itself. So doing something that you love, that you enjoy right away, first thing in the morning, that's step number one. Step number two, learn something new every day, something that excites you, something that is really fun and enjoyable, a topic that really just kind of lights you on fire. If it's this thing that you're going to be going and doing your new career, your pivot, then cool, make it about that, learn something. Third, share that thing with a friend. Share that with somebody that you really care about so that you can embody it. This is something, man, people really don't understand this. You need to be able to embody your excitement. You need to be able to do it. You need to be able to physically manifest it. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to talk about it, to let yourself be enthusiastic and passionate and excitable as you're talking about it and sharing that with somebody that you really care about that can really help. Now, if you can share it with somebody that also has a fascination and a passion for that and you care about them and they're a friend that you trust, now you're getting into like just really exciting territory. And then last but not least, every day at some point, either in the morning, at night, on your lunch break, whatever, do a gratitude practice. Pick three things. They can be deadly simple things. They don't have to be big things, but three, rotate through. Don't do the same things over and over. It just become rote and it won't have the impact. But take three things every day that you're grateful for. It could be somebody's smile. It could be the breeze. It could be having a television. Whatever it is, take the time to really feel your gratitude for that. If you take the time to do those things every day, you're taking time to cultivate a feeling, an experience. You're doing something that creates a neurochemical state that will help you make sure that your days are crafted around joy, at least for the parts that you have outside of this drudgery that sadly is your job. There it is. That's really good advice. And I really hope you guys take it. All right, Brian Roman. Hey Tom, how can one acquire a job in an industry they're heavily interested in but don't have any experience for interest or for example, filmmaking? Okay, so this, hey, Will, here it is. Here it is. Outwork everyone. All right, so that's, this is um, shameless plug, but it actually happens to be the real answer. These guys wanted me to just answer any question without work everyone, and obviously I'm not gonna do that. So the good news is this is really truly the answer. You need to get extraordinarily good about that thing. So uh, I remember my father-in-law pulled me aside when I was a young dumb kid, and he wasn't yet my father-in-law, and he was trying to convince me not to marry his daughter, but since I had already proposed, he said, uh, you need to know more about whatever industry, he was actually talking about meetings. Like if you're going into a meeting, you need to know more about it than anyone else in the room. Now apply that more broadly. If you wanna go into an industry, you need to know more about it than anyone else in the room. Now your ass is up against Steven Spielberg. So you're gonna really have to dive into it, start getting good, start doing it, start practicing. Even take your weekends and go shoot student films, whatever it is, get experience. Learn about it. Immerse yourself in it. In fact, man, here's one of the times that I wish we just followed me around with a fucking camera. It's just so visually uninteresting. But what I've been doing to learn about the comic industry is exactly what you're asking right now. And when I say I immerse myself in it, dude, every transitional moment I fill with learning. 
So in the gym, I'm listening to books about comic books. I'm uh, listening to podcasts about the state of the industry. I'm watching YouTube videos, whatever. In an Uber, while I'm brushing my teeth, every spare moment I have, I'm spending time learning about that thing. Now, when you're really into something, and this is why they say your obsessions become your possessions. When you're really into something, I mean really obsessed with it, and you're spending that level of time in it, thinking about it, talking to people about it, researching, doing, doing, doing that thing, you're going to get better, especially if you're really willing to look at where you're not good, uh, the parts where you're falling down, stare at those inadequacies, leverage Ray Dalio's pain plus reflection equals progress. So let it hurt that you suck. Dive deeper into that. Really look at why you're bad. Get that feedback from people. Hunger for it. Want it so that you can improve. All right. I could literally just keep going on and on and on about that. You live in a world with the fucking internet. Leverage it. Right now, there are hundreds of thousands of videos about any industry that you want. So filmmaking, there's probably way more than that. So go immerse yourself, learn, learn, learn. It's such a fun process. I'm excited for you that you have something that you wanna learn. Let that burn in you, fuel that burn. All right, Michael Beresford, sure. Hi Tom, uh, do you have any methods on becoming more self-aware and creating a vision even if you know that you're not going to be head of a company? Absolutely, and by the way, um, being a linchpin, as Seth Godin defines it, I think is just as beautiful, if not more beautiful, than running a company. It, running the company or not comes down to personality, what you desire, one isn't better than the other. So if you want to really um, just figure yourself out, you need to walk through a simple process. So number one, you need to begin noticing that you're having a reaction or an emotion, think of it that way. You need to begin noticing that you're having an emotion. Now, you may not notice until you're in a screaming match, but once you catch yourself and you realize, whoa, I'm really freaking out about this thing. Okay, cool, I'm having an emotion. Then you're gonna do a Sherlock Holmesian style deductive reasoning to get to what is driving that emotion. Okay, so step number one, I'm having an emotion. What is this emotion? Oh, it's anger, it's rage, it's jealousy, it's insecurity, whatever. That's what it is. What's causing it? Layer one. That person just said, I'm ugly. Okay, great. That's layer one though. What's the real driving insecurity? Okay, the real driving insecurity is I don't feel worthy. Um, I was picked on for my looks as a kid, whatever. And so I've got some deep-seated sense of worthlessness that's around my looks. So anytime somebody approaches me for that, boom, I fall apart. Okay, that's gonna be that recursive thing that you're gonna wanna go to until you get to that real thing. Now, it may take you a while to really begin to identify what it is that's driving it at that second layer. But if you keep doing it, take a journal, write it down. Like I had this big emotion. I think it was caused by this layer one, or I know it was caused by this layer one. That was the trigger. But then the real driver behind this layer two is I think this. And then keep that journal going, keep reflecting on that stuff. You're gonna find that you, as you practice that, as you do it, and I mean, look, wear a rubber band around your wrist or something and snap it every time that you realize that you're having an emotion so that you'll start realizing it earlier and earlier and earlier. One thing that I did was I started detecting the physiological reactions of anger, for instance. So you get hot, your face flushes, you 
I at least want to adopt a much more aggressive body posture. So all of those things, I would, oh, like here I go, I'm leaning forward, I can feel my muscles tensing, I'm getting hot, my face is flushing, I must be angry. And then I would start working. And then I would try to catch it faster and faster and faster until I got to the point where I could feel that sort of build, that neurological trigger, even before I began to have the physiological response, even before I began to have any outward signs of the person that I was dealing with, and I could catch it really, really fast. So. But that takes time. That took me a long fucking time, years of time to get to that point. But practice, walk through that steps, you'd be golden. All right, Amir Mahmood. How do I make myself do something like homework or exercise straight away? I know from that phrase you are British. Uh, how do I get myself in the state of doing things immediately? Okay, this comes down to desire. So I think that most people don't want anything very badly and because they don't want anything very badly, they act in accordance with that, it's not apathy, but that lack of strong desire. So the real key here is what is, what is it that interests you enough that you, you want to invest in turning that interest into a raging inferno of desire? Now the great news is for anybody watching that doesn't have a raging inferno of desire inside of them, that is a process, you create that. The first day that I realized that um, I was interested in film, it certainly wasn't a raging inferno. Uh, when I first realized I was interested in being an entrepreneur, that was not a raging inferno. Um, none of it starts like that. It just starts with, huh, that's kind of interesting. And then you spend more time with it. And then you go through the process of embodying it. And embodying it is shorthand for repeating in your own head that this is something that you're really into. It's repeating it out loud to other people. It's allowing yourself to physically manifest excitement because there's a feedback loop in your brain that goes, whoa, like we're getting really amped up here. This must be worth getting really amped up over. So if there's something that you really want to give yourself over to, you've got to go through that process. You guys watching Picasso? Watch Picasso, man. You guys seen Picasso? It's great, guys. Anyway, watch Picasso. It's an awesome example of one person who pours themselves into turning their interest into an absolute fucking life-consuming obsession while being in a group of people that don't. And they're interested, but they're not willing to give themselves over like Picasso is. Also, they let their insecurities run away with them. Picasso, when he meets, uh, when he's just overwhelmed with insecurity, tries to get better, tries to get better, pushes himself, tries to get inspired, goes elsewhere, does things, looks at people, beats himself up a little bit. It's Amazing. The other people just spiral the fuck out of control, never try to redirect that anxiety or that insecurity at their art form to get better, to be the impetus, to push them. And because of that, we don't know their fucking names and we all hopefully know Picasso. So that's my advice. Get really good at turning that interest into an obsession. I think it's fun, man. When there's something that you're that into, you will jump out of bed. You will not have trouble doing homework when it's for something that you care deeply about. So, all right, Danbro Fitness. Hi, Tom. Do you have any techniques to improve your persuasive writing? I know you used to be a teacher. Yes. My advice to you is write a lot. Write a lot. Give it to people. Give it to people who will be honest with you, who will give you feedback. I mean, Jesus, now with the internet, it will be no problem whatsoever to find a group of other people that are trying to be a better writer. You guys can exchange, critique each other's stuff. You will get so much better. Oh, this. I love the world. This is amazing. The fact that the internet exists and that you can connect with people like this, this is amazing. Find a group of people that are trying to do the same kind of thing that you're trying to do. Build some trust. I get it. That'll take a little bit of time. You'll have to refine and polish the group over time. But man, if you can get a group of people and you're all trying to do the same thing and you push each other, 
That's how people really escalate and get great. So yeah, do that. Write a lot. Jessica N, what's your take on the current suicides of apparently successful people? Okay, this is really freaking me out. Read a poem. Do anybody right now that's sitting comfortably at a computer, type into Google Richard Corey. It's the title of a poem. I read it when I was like eight or something. It, it has haunted me since the day I read it. It's about a guy. He's good looking. He's wealthy. Um, people like him. And he goes home one day. And like it's this whole poem. And it's just amazing. And you want to be Richard Corey. He sounds amazing. And then the punchline is he goes home and kills himself. And I thought, whoa. Appearances are not always what they seem. But it's not just about that. What really freaks me out is how avoidable it is because this is a game of neurochemistry. Depression is, it is a state rooted in biology. It is a state dramatically affected by what you eat and what you allow yourself to think over and over and over. And when you no longer believe that you will ever feel good about yourself again, you commit suicide. Now, if that were true, if you could never feel good about yourself again, it would actually be a pretty reasonable response. But the reality is, it is a temporary state. It is a psychological obsession that you've gotten yourself into that has now begun to hardwire. The neurochemistry of that has gotten very easy to flow. It's influenced dramatically by your microbiome, which is a whole discussion, which, hey, let's get into. So the feedback loop between your brain and the microbes living in your gut is pure insanity. It is massive. It is rapid. It is extreme. It is wildly influential. Serotonin, which is often called the feel-good neurochemical, 95% of it is stored in your gut. It is the release of that is dramatically affected by your microbiome and the communication between the brain across the vagus nerve and all that. And look, we're at the edge of like, my ability to explain this in biological terms is relatively weak, but directionally, I'm 100% correct. And uh, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is what uh, your typical class of antidepressants is trying to do, is trying to elevate the level of serotonin in your brain. The problem is very little of it is being produced in the brain. So you need to make sure, oh, and there's an interesting paper written on this. We're now, will you guys let me explore just verbally here for a second? Um, and to Dan, who sends me papers and stuff on this, if you're watching right now, Dude, thank you so much. Um, I, th we are now officially at the part where I am grasping uh, to understand something that I'm just really beginning to learn about right now. If I understand correctly, there's either serotonin doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier at all or it crosses in a different way or something. This is, a, hey, we're, I'm totally exploring here. Bear with me. Um, but talking about doing things to get your, doing things connected to the microbiome in order to get the level of serotonin produced in your brain, again, we're outside of what I understand, uh, elevated is something that's being researched right now. And the answer of the clinicians is not SSRIs, but instead to be addressing the microbiome. So there is more and more evidence coming out every day about the influence of the microbiome. Our modern lifestyle and diets are absolute atrocities for the microbiome, which throws it into what's called dysbiosis. Dysbiosis then creates all these neurochemical irregularities, which 
then coupled with, hey, I don't feel great, and so I start thinking about negative things. The negative things become a negative loop, and so even though I'm Anthony Bourdain and I'm world famous and I'm supposedly traveling the world following my deepest passions, all of a sudden I'm in a loop of negativity that I can't get out of because it's become truly hardwired, reinforced by my microbiome, reinforced by my thoughts. Man, it's so sad. And one of the people that um, I just have obsessed over emotionally, maybe is the right word. He's my favorite musician growing up and well into my 30s. Uh, this was a guy named Chris Cornell who also committed suicide, I think last year. Um, that was uber heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and that's the, that's the punchline is it's hard as hell. It is really complicated. There's no simple facile conclusion, but it is something that can be worked on. And if you're feeling depressed right now, one, know that you're gambling with your life. Depression is gambling with your life. Two, there is a way out of it, 100%. Even if, even if you have to go see a clinical psychologist and go through a, a psychedelic study. There, there is a way through this. So to take a permanent solution to a temporary problem to me is one of the most heartbreaking and terrifying things and it really does seem just pandemic right now. So that's my take. I worry about this a lot. Um, I've been really fucking lame though because I keep saying we need to make content, like real content around this and I've done nothing about it and that is deeply shameful. So I need to buckle down and I need to figure out the neurochemistry so I can really explain it and we need to make a video and we need to do something uh, to actually help people with this. Thank you for that question. That put me in a really um, reflective mood. Okay, Adelaine Flanagan. Hi Tom, the industry, hospitality, I am actively pursuing requires a lot of networking. However, I tend to be very socially awkward is there any tips you can offer on how I can improve this further? Yes. So look at, um, in fact, go watch the episode with Vanessa Van Edwards that we did, Impact Theory. Absolutely amazing. She talks about that. Read her book, uh, which is also amazing. Forgetting the title. Do you remember the title off the top of your head? Captivate. Uh, Chase. Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Absolutely amazing book. And Watch videos on her because she talks about it. She said that she was brutally socially awkward and had to learn methods to not be and she outlines them in her book and they're pretty amazing. I won't fumble my way through them right now. I will just say go watch her episode of Impact Theory. That's a nice primer. Read her book. She will give you all that you seek. Okay, Renee Birabent. You and other successful entrepreneurs talk about outworking everyone. Was this something you were always conscious you did or is it something you realized when you reflected back? I had no idea that I should do it in the beginning until I wasn't able to get into film school and they told me that I had to get good grades and I had made myself a promise going into college that I would never cheat again. Uh, so that meant the only thing left for me was to work really, really hard. But even then it didn't feel like, oh, this is a way of life. This is how you get ahead. It was coming from a place of panic and desperation. And I was so afraid I wouldn't get into film school uh, that I just studied my ass off and that was that. And I unfortunately then 
after that went through a trough of such horrifying laziness that I can't even say that like I had gotten the punchline. So no, I did not start understanding that. That is something that I had to develop over time. That is something that I had to read about and get slapped around by. And people tell me that that was the answer. My father-in-law pulled me aside and tell me that basically you have to know more about any uh, topic in your business than anybody else. And realizing the only way that that was gonna happen was if I put an extraordinary amount of time into it. Also, I'm a really slow, um, I'm not a slow learner, but like, writing for instance. My first draft is always so bad, it's like, it's almost terrifying. In fact, my first drafts always make me feel badly about myself. I go through this period where if I didn't understand the cycle of self-doubt, I would hit that first part and just stop because I'd be like, I am so bad at this. It's, it's crazy. It's actually crazy. And it is only through the process of rewriting, rewriting, rewriting that I'm able to finally get something that is less than embarrassing. So if I didn't have the work ethic, I would just never get to that. And I would think, oh, I'm just a bad writer. But the reality is I'm not a bad writer. It just takes me a really long time to write something good. So if you're willing to continue and put in the work and just understand that there is, there's just a truth of the world that if you work more, it will get better. You will get better. Your work will improve. You'll think of ideas that you didn't think of before. So yeah, it was a process. Rajdeep Saha. Hi, Tom. My question is that after watching any inspirational video, we get some energy and start doing work, but after a few days, it disappears. So, so how can one get a constant inspiration for growing? Okay, the reality is I've always, I don't think it's a couple days or even a few days, I think is what you said. Uh, I think it's a couple of hours, best case. So I've always believed that I have a, a two-hour effect on people that is an ever-declining arc. So while you're near me and I'm getting you amped up, you're there, man, you're ready. You're about to go attack it and then it starts to wear off. And about two hours after you've left my side, eh, you're sort of back to that baseline level. The only way to make that internal so that you don't need the external motivation is to build that desire in yourself, to want something so much, to get excited about something that fills you with energy and to believe in that thing, that working towards that is going to create that vision that you have of the world. When you build all of that up in your mind, you get massively excited about it. You embody that excitement. You make it a part of your identity. You tell everyone that you're about it. And when you're really struggling, then you remind yourself of that part of it that really excites you. So rather than the work that you're gonna have to go do, you just think about, I'm gonna go do that thing. I'm going to enjoy that part of the process and then go lean into that. If you can do all of that, that gestalt, then you'll have the motivation that you need. But when it's not a part of your identity, when you don't believe in what you're going after, when it isn't something that in the action of doing it fills you with energy, you're never gonna do it because you don't care, it's boring, it's sucking your soul away and why would you do it? And I think that's where people spend the vast majority of their time, just like in a relationship. A dream, a vision, a passion. It's all about selection. Choosing the right person is far more powerful towards getting married than having all the tools and relationship techniques in the world. The same is true of building a passion. Step one is care about that thing that you're going to pursue. It starts there. So find something that really interests you. Now remember, you're not gonna look out in the world and find something that already captivates your heart and soul. It's not gonna be like that. You're gonna find something that's interesting, but it gives you a little more energy than it takes. That's the start that you need to build into something extraordinary. All right, Stefan Siabataru. 
Chaobataru. It's something like that. It looks cool though. Uh, how should I deal with what if regrets related to failed relationships? Man, I'm not haunted by this, uh, but I know many, many people are. So my advice may be bad because it doesn't haunt me, but here's my logic. The only thing that matters is how a person makes you feel. If a person makes you feel wonderful and they reciprocate that, so it's, this is not unrequited love, which has an undercurrent of desperation, and I think that people just aren't looking below that first level of obsession. So when it's like, it just, oh my God, it makes you feel amazing. The other person, you make them feel amazing and you've got that reciprocal thing. Cool, that's worth fighting for because you really feel something. When the what if scenario is purely intellectual and I think, what if we were together and then they made me feel this way and I made them feel this way, what if? Then it's like, there's nothing there to hold on to. That's a purely intellectual exercise. So it's very easy for me to let go of it because I'm interested in the experiential part of being with that person. And if being with that person has only a top layer of excitement and an undercurrent of insecurity and desperation, that's not interesting to me. So going back to an earlier question about self-awareness, getting to the point where you can discern both of those layers. So for instance, my wife is both in the moment fun and we have like this amazing, beautiful relationship, but underneath she is my deepest sense of security. She is the thing that I trust the most in this world. And because of that, that is something that is pure joy. And if I lost her, that would be brutally difficult. And that would be difficult to claw my way back from. And I, by the way, when I say lose, I just assume she dies because we've got the relationship tools and techniques in order to make it through those kinds of difficulties. But yeah, pure what if intellectual things, um, you just have to decide that it's like the rules. Do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. So you have to decide either that pursuing that, worrying about it, obsessing over the what if of it all, um, if that's moving you towards your goals or not. And if it is, if it is, you have shitty goals. I'm just going to be honest with you. So since it's not going to move you towards any goal that makes any sense, you're going to stop doing it. All right. That's probably terrible advice, but that's really how I think of it. Lee's, we're just going to spell it out. All right. Lee's. PGH. Hi, Tom. Do you have any suggestions for people who have experienced pretty intense young childhood trauma and overcoming the effects of that, especially on mindset and with relationships trusting? Yes, this is an amazing question. So you're going to have to put in a lot of work to build something new. When So you've got all these really horrible hardwired associations. And by the way, man, when I say I fully get it, like you have every reason to just reinvest in that trauma and to, to feel the weight of being victimized. But now you really have to separate that you were victimized. There's no question, but you're going to now refuse to play the victim and you're going to step into an empowering role and you're going to begin the process of letting go. And I'm using that word. It's not a breaking down. It's not a tearing apart. It's literally a letting go process of that by Okay, you're gonna let go by focusing on something new, by focusing on a gratitude practice, by um, building trust with people. And look, if you, you know, take your time with this, this isn't throwing yourself into something, but you're going to open yourself up to that. And you're gonna open yourself up knowing that the beauty of opening yourself up to somebody is that you can and almost certainly will be hurt. But if you're doing it in a way where it's not just sort of blindly throwing yourself out there, that you can open yourself up in a way that is, um, it's a survivable thing. 
So hurt is inevitable. Part of the process of healing is facing that again and allowing yourself to be open to trusting and trying these things. Building new relationships, building new associations, beginning to build a worldview that is based on positivity, which are just decisions. So the amazing Einstein quote, the most important decision anyone will ever make is whether they live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Most people who've had trauma have subconsciously formed the belief that they live in a hostile universe. And so they're always on guard for people that are, um, people and things that might hurt them. They're in a fear-based mentality. If you can now consciously begin to deconstruct that subconscious process by repeating things like, I live in a friendly universe. Things are going to work out. There is a solution to this problem. These all sound stupid and I totally get why people shy away from that, but it's really powerful. And if you're repeating things like that in your head and you take the time, you, what you're gonna feel because of the historical stuff, you're gonna feel the reality, the quote unquote truth of the negativity of the world. But if in those moments, when you feel that weight of the negativity, ask yourself one simple, profound, and life-altering question. How is the worst thing that ever happened to me the best thing that ever happened to me. And when you can reframe it, whether it's the childhood trauma, whether it's the trauma that you're going through right at that moment, how is this thing going to help me? It, you're just choosing to look at it in a new way. It's not that it's more true. It's not that the thing doesn't suck. It's that you're choosing to put your energy onto the positive side. And as you do that, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, all of a sudden, it will become your default position and you will see that you let go of the old stuff by building something new. That's the answer. Caesar Cadena. Let's say you're the best in the world in something and outwork everyone. How do you get people to even listen to give you an opportunity? People ignore everyone and can't identify opportunities. Okay, so Caesar, let's talk about the answer that I had to the last question. In, in that last sentence, people ignore everyone and can't identify opportunities. You reveal that, that your life view is one of negativity. So I will just tell you, people are always looking to listen. People always want to hear an amazing idea. People are creating opportunities all the time. That's literally the reality of my life. I believe that to the core of my being. But even if it's not true, that's where I'm going to choose to put my energy. So even if it's only 1% of the world that are open and listening and creating opportunities, I'm going to be paying attention to the 1% and not to the 99%. So right now, you're creating that problem for yourself because you have baseline assumptions about the way the world works. And because you have those baseline assumptions, you're going to see it everywhere. You will act in accordance with it. You're gonna keep your ideas close. You're not gonna show people your ideas. You're gonna get really salty if somebody um, says your idea isn't good because you think my idea is brilliant. These motherfuckers just wanna rain in my parade because they're not open. They don't wanna hear from people. But the reality is most people do. And so because I'm coming from a place of, man, people wanna create opportunities. People wanna hear what I have to say. When I say something and they're like, oh, that's kind of dumb, I think, oh, okay, maybe I need to rethink my idea. I need to go back and like really double down, figure this out, maybe I don't quite have it right yet, and then I'll come back because I know they wanna hear it. I know they're looking for a great idea. I just haven't gotten to the great idea yet. And so I just need to refine and push and keep working, holding myself to a higher standard until I get there because I know when it's really a good idea, the world is going to respond in kind. So that difference, shifting that, all of a sudden you're gonna see the results or that you're gonna see the evidence 
for that belief everywhere simply because you chose to look for it. Michael Richards. Have you ever come across a situation where you felt it necessary to limit growth learning about something you're passionate about because you neglect other aspects of your life? Every single day. So, man, you've really uh, put your finger in just a wound of mine. There's so many things in life that I'm just beyond interested in, even passionate about, and it's just not enough time in the day. This is why I resent sleep. Um, even though I get it and I prioritize it, I truly resent sleep because it's taking time away from the other things that I want to learn about and all that. And there's just no answer to that. So, well, I guess there sort of is. If, if what your real deep passion is, is just learning about a whole bunch of different things, then just spend your time going from thing to thing to thing. You just will find it very difficult to create momentum in any one area. And since I prize momentum, for me, I just had to say, I'm in a room with 900, or I'm in a room with 1,000 doors and my job is to close 999 and move in a direction. Um, and so that's what I've done. And it does pain me. There's no question about that. But I just focus on how much I love the door that I've walked through. And I don't worry about what all the what-if scenarios or what my life would look like if I was doing something else. Um, I just make sure that I'm enjoying my day-to-day, -day, that I'm deeply passionate about that thing. And I just go forward so I can create momentum and build something in my life. The motorhome experiment. I'm guessing that's not on your birth certificate. Hi, Tom. My wife and I start most mornings with a piece of your content. That's amazing. Thank you. You touched on this with Dr. Joe Dispenza, which by the way, that episode is crushing. If you haven't already, go check it out right now on YouTube. It, it, it's like 2x what a normal uh, video is. It's pretty crazy at what, day three? four, uh, two. Is this really day two? That's crazy town. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. All right. 100, you touched on this with Dr. Joe Dispenza, 100 supporters, yet one hater sets us off. Why do we focus on the one hater? Part of this is just from an evolutionary perspective, you're far better off protecting yourself from the downside than you are worrying about having some extraordinary upside. Um, that isn't great modern advice, in my opinion, because the odds of you like starving to death and things like that, which is what the mind is trying to protect you from, are pretty slim. So I think at this point, you're better off optimizing your belief set to keep you from being obsessive about the one person, the negativity, the hater. Look, it happens when somebody like, when you really dig something and you put it out into the world and somebody slaps it down, it's going to suck for a minute. But if you recognize that behavior, right, going back to self-awareness, recognize you're having the emotion, figure out what's causing it, what's the underlying security, insecurity, and then if you know, oh, it's, I'm feeling badly about this because I'm really bad at this thing, I, th like they've, what really hurts normally is something you know is true. So, okay, this person just poked me on something that I know is true, I'm not good at that, man, I want to be, and it really sucks that I'm not, but I've got a choice right now. I can either go get good at it, or I can just move on. Those are the only two choices I give myself. If I decide that I'm gonna go get good at that, then I'm gonna use that pain of feeling that criticism to really reflect on my abilities and to get better. Ray Dalio, right? Pain plus reflection equals progress. Cool. I'm gonna use that as my impetus. It's gonna move me forward. Or I'm gonna say, yeah, it does kind of suck that I'm not good at this. And they're right, I really am not but I'm not willing to put the energy to get any better. So I'm not gonna sit here and worry about it. They say, they, they say, there are two things you should never worry about. Things you can't change and things you can. So that is my advice. Don't allow yourself to spend time in a psychological loop obsessing about it. Every time you find that you're obsessing about that negative thing, just force yourself to think about something positive. It's just like meditating, come back to the breath, come back to the positivity over and over and over.
All right. I think that is an amazingly good place to end. So I'm going to bid you guys farewell. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, this is amazing. Remember, today's episode is brought to you by Outwork Everybody, which we have a painting. We did a collaboration with Iconic. Here it is. Pretty stoked on this thing. It's amazing. Check it out. You can go to shop.impacttheory.com right now and get one for yourself as a powerful reminder that that is how you achieve greatness. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys, rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.